very delighted to welcome our very special guest into the studio uh, today, Eamon Marin. Delighted to have you here. Hi, Ian, yeah. Uh, you've been the Palace radio commentator for about seven years, but you, your connection with Palace goes back a lot longer than that. So do you want to, both as a fan and in a work connection, do you want to go through your early days? Well, the early days, uh, my dad took me to Palace in the 60s and become hooked ever since then. Started playing local football for a number of years afterwards and uh, became a regular Palace fan, really, in the 80s. And then, at the end, towards the end of the 80s, the chance came to do the voiceovers for the Palace DVDs and videos and do 0898 Club Call, if you remember that. And I've been doing similar things ever since. Well, you say that the chance the chance came but uh, presumably they didn't just pick you off the street so. <laughs> well it actually was a very fresh-faced terry byfield terry byfield as you know has been at the club for about 25 years and i heard they were looking for something to do the voiceovers and i was working in clubland at the time and came along and got auditioned by uh, mr terry byfield and also Pete king who was the a communications manager at the time and well they took me on madly they did that and i've been doing that ever since in one way or the other both for palace and also for wimbledon during the 90s as well so i don't know i've been doing this sort of thing perhaps for too long some <laughs> might say <laughs> so so i mean you auditioned but had you had some previous experience i know you said you worked in clubland well the the entertainment business uh, as uh, o'reilly over there will know about is a pretty ruthless cutthroat business so i worked in the clubs i used to do comparing and organize entertainments for clubs and so i'm pretty used i suppose to speaking into a microphone spouting some old rubbish all over the country and so (laughs) they they seem to like what they heard and i remember doing the first game at the late 80s um with, with a guy called adam sells actually we we shared it out a bit we were joint commentators sells a great bloke who was a, a good mate of chris Powell and uh Powell used to come up and help us because he wasn't getting many games for palace at the time and sells as you probably might know now is the goalkeeping coach of the yeah, academy yeah, the academy yeah you uh you mentioned club call there we, i mean we had uh, a quiz question about club call a few weeks ago to see if people could remember it um that was a phone line, wasn't it? <laughs> so how how did that work then? You you made a commentary which people phoned up and listened to. Well, it, was, it was a bit more than that. Um, it's uh, got a bit of a notorious reputation now. When you say oh eight nine eight numbers, uh, other sorts of phone lines come to mind. But it was a, a dedicated daily show really on the phone where you heard all the Paddis news so it wasn't just doing match day commentaries which we did home and away you used to have to go all over the country into the various press boxes but also you had to do pre-match and post-match interviews and compile news during the week so uh, Terry did a lot of that Pete King did a lot of that and uh, I got roped into doing interviews as well which I have to say is not the easiest job especially post-match when Palace have lost. So we, we had to get an interview. Um, if you didn't get an interview, well, you were in trouble. And some players were very cooperative, one or two weren't. I remember Eric Young never wanted to do an interview. He made that very clear. But uh, the likes of Wrighty, Brighty, Nigel Martin, Thorny, to name a few, were just great, always helped you out. I know exactly what you mean, because um, I did have a, a little uh, adventure away from Palace Radio. I went to work for um, Capital Gold Sport for four years, along with... Uh, Trevor Hayes, and unfortunately, I had to follow Gillingham up and down the country. But, uh, <laughs> Lucky it certainly, you. Uh, you know, uh, padded out the CV, the journalistic CV, and I, I can relate exactly to that, especially after the team have lost. Um, you know, and I had the uh, 
the uncoveted job of having to go and find Andy Hessen Tyler when <laughs> Gillingham had been thumped three nil and uh, try and get a positive slant from him. So uh, you did have your kind of not not self chosen favourites, but you'd have people that were very mm. receptive to talk to you. Um, and others that were a bit frosty, to say the least. Yes, I do remember being in a press conference once when I was working for Wimbledon, and uh, Alex Ferguson uh, came in the room, very red-faced, very angry. Well, that's uh, a change. This was, this, was, this was, uh, <laughs> during the 90s, and uh, a journalist dared to uh, question his uh, team formation for the day and uh, was met with um, some ra- rather colourful language, shall we say. But uh, not only did you have to interview players, I remember Pete wanted me to interview Lennox Lewis once, who was a great mate of Wright and Bright, so I was sent down to interview Lennox Lewis which was okay um, so did the interview I thought that's pretty good so I got back to put it on the system and I'd forgotten to uh, turn the pause button off so there was oh. nothing nothing on the voice recorder so I was sent back down again and I said Lennox sir would you mind doing the interview again I thought oh dear he was just stared at me for a minute and then he said the words that I'll never forget uh, no problem man <laughs> and uh, we did the interview again great so that was, that was one of the most hair raising moments because in these internet days, some of certainly some of our younger listeners will be quite fascinated to hear this. That uh, say for for club call, people would actually phone up and stay on the phone yeah. for an entire couple of hours while you were giving the commentary. It must have cost them a fortune. Well, they they think the rate per minute was quite high in those days, and. We used to get the figures every week, and Peking, the communications manager, would look at the figures, and they were mind-blowing sometimes. Don't forget, we were in the top flight at the beginning of the 90s when this sort of thing took off, and, and they were absolutely incredible. People from all around would just ring in, and God knows what their phone bills were. So, uh, and then you did the player interviews. I, I, I do recall you mentioning, um, the, uh, amongst your recollections, was the Zenith Cup final... Yeah, the, uh, when Palace got to Wembley, that amazing match against Everton, who, funnily enough, are also struggling at the moment. Uh, Palace ran out convincing winners that day, so the star of the show was Ian Wright, so I had really to get Ian Wright to do the interview. And Ian Wright was always the last one out of the changing room, so took a bit of a risk because there were lots of journos around. They all wanted Ian Wright. So all the Palace players walked out the Wembley dressing room and... I left it till the very last minute, right he was ages that day. So he saw me and I said, Ian, please, little quick interview. And all the other hacks had their voice recorders out, but luckily he ignored them, came to me, did a great interview and top bloke. So you, you were the interview before anyone else in the country? Yes, indeed, yeah. And uh, he, he recognised me, of course. Um, you know, it's, it, I do sympathise with the players sometimes. It's a, a, a stressful 90 minutes and things haven't gone well. And then you've got some bloke sticking a mic in their face afterwards. So I do, as I say, sympathise with the guys doing it, and it can be very difficult at times, so never underestimate that. Right, and then I think also in those days, um, I, I seem to recall you appearing with Julia Roberts. <laughs> <laughs> Julia Roberts of QVC fame, yes. We used to do a little thing on the Palace TV pre-match where we would just run over, a bit like you've been doing, run over the game that's uh, just happened, because we used to go home and away in those days preview the match and then just generally talk about Palace news and that I thought worked very well but uh, then it was decided just to bin that one but I know Julia Roberts is still a great fan still appears on QVC I think and uh, and I thought that was very informative and little thing for the fans just before the game. I know you've had uh, more years than me in the that commentary type hot seat Eamon but uh, a bit of an obvious question but um, what's the most uh, memorable game that you've had to commentate on 
Well, that's, is that's, there one that sticks well, out well, above all the rest? Or well, 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 that's very easy. The most memorable game has to be a certain game against uh, Man United. It was a. Uh, here at Sellers, a very hard-fought hard fought game. It was in February 1995, so that probably gives you a bit of a clue so of the Mr. game Cantona. I was talking about. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. Cantona, and one thing they say when you do this thing is always be prepared for the unexpected. You, you never know what's going to happen in football. And, of course, the, there was a very tense atmosphere all game, and you just felt something was going to happen. And then, of course, uh, Eric got sent off, and uh, from the press box, we could see him marauding down the touchline. His face was so white, he looked so angry. <laughs> and then, then you saw um, the well-known fan come to the front. You knew something was going to happen, but nothing prepared you for that flying scissors kick, which uh, <laughs> knocked the fan backwards, and then a whole melee took place. But the interesting thing about that day was uh, the press box suddenly emptied because the journos weren't interested in the football. They realised there was another bigger story going on. And to this day, I'm sure many people will actually forget the score and who, who scored the goals. It, it was one all, of course. Yeah. Uh, uh, Gareth Southgate, I think. Well done, Ian. Yeah, it was. <laughs> um, can we get on to sort of the more technical sides of, uh, of commentating? Because I, I know one or two people have asked me to ask you certain questions about this. Let's say you've got a game today against Leeds. What sort of preparation would you need to do prior to that game? You must prepare. You're, you're dead meat if you don't prepare. You must, you must really know the away players. There is a bit of a debate, certainly it, when you're doing a radio station like Palace Radio, how interested the Palace fans are in who's playing for the other team. But, of course, with Palace, there are many connections with players in the other team. For example, Leeds have got Ryan Hall today who started off as an apprentice here at Palace, just made one sub-appearance. So really you must research the other team, know the sort of form they're in, know the sort of line-up they have, and as well just also check uh, the Palace players who played recently, who might be coming into the team, the injury situation, and all that sort of thing, which of course is much easier these days with all the various websites. I have to say, I have to mention really the Palace programme, of course, a very helpful section in the Palace programme is uh, telling you how the away team is playing, how the shape they've been playing in and the formation, and also, of course, your interviews with the guys from the uh, stations of the away teams. And we, we always have a little word sometimes with them as well, just to check on the formation. But, you know, you must research, you must prepare, because you don't know what's going to happen. Some player who some may have never heard of before may suddenly score a hat-trick, for example. I mean, I, I can understand, like, if I was commentating, I would probably be able to identify all the Palace players. How difficult is it for you with the opposition, a team you're not familiar with? Do you go by the numbers on their back or are you looking at their faces or...? Well, sometimes you, you, you've also seen them before. Yes, I appreciate Most that, of yeah. these games, I would watch out if we're playing. I don't know, we're playing Leeds today. I will try and catch a Leeds game. On Sky, I'll try and see some of the players, look at their pen pictures, for example, see what they look like. I also can be seen sometimes before a game round about half past one, just standing by the players' entrance, watching the other team come in, just uh, clocking the sort of players that are in their squad today. So not always easy, of course. Sometimes when you've got a striped shirt on and you can barely see the number on the back, that's a bit of a mare. Well, I had a routine when I did the four years for Capital Sport, which would be, on the opposition, I would make sure I'd read in detail the three previous match reports across all the various sites so you get a feel for how they're playing. Um, I would look 
stats-wise on all of the uh, database sites that were available. Some of the players, you the more higher profile, you would know a little bit about them. Were they left-footed? Were they right-footed? Were they good in the air? But sometimes it's it's impossible to know everything about every player. So that was my little ditty. And it would take eight or ten hours of prep yeah, during yeah. the week mm. before I went to air on a Saturday. And I was only the co-commentator. <laughs> uh, you know, where, yeah, well. to some extent, you haven't got to have quite the knowledge of the number one um, because you're generally talking about the action on that day. You haven't necessarily got to appear as the, the brains of the outfit, so to speak. So, uh, you know, you must have been putting more than eight or ten hours in prep. Oh, oh, certainly. But I do have some very good co-commentators. must say a word for Craig Barnes, who used to be on the station. Now now he's working at the BBC. And, of course, Daryl also does meticulous preparation and uh, also fills in some very useful facts as well. But... I have to oh, say, we of course have uh, had the pleasure of working together periodically. We, we have, yeah, we, I, I yeah. enjoy that. I enjoy that change. <laughs> he yeah, didn't, know, it was he good didn't stuff. say that as a highlight of his career, though, did he? It's not a highlight. No, no, but, uh, <laughs> well, for me, for well, me, it's well, not a highlight. I, I wouldn't, say, I wouldn't say, say it was a low light. But the little thing about match reports, though, not quite so easy now. Match reports aren't what they used to be. Used to be lots of things about how the game went, but now a lot of it, of course, is quotes from the manager afterwards, yellow cards, red cards, and disappointingly, many match reports now tell you. From very little about how the actual team is playing just one final question to finish off with which i was asked to ask you might not want to answer this is there a memorable blunder that you would pick out too too many to mention of of course rather memorable blunders of getting getting the names wrong i told you about lennox lewis i i interviewed andy thorne once and uh andy thought it'd been a hard game at qpr and uh he was on his way to the bar and uh he he very kindly said just give me i'll give you a couple of minutes he said to me i said fine right so uh i've got andy gray with me here today and and thorny said to me I'm Andy Thorne. I ain't Andy Gray. And it's easily done. <laughs> that was a memorable one. But he did, he did stick around. But he really, you know, those adverts when they really rush the words at the end. Uh, Thorne, did that. He spoke at about 90 words a second just to get the interview over. That that was one. And sometimes you do get the wrong goal scorer. I remember being on the gantry once and getting, when I used to work for a firm called Televideo doing Wimbledon and getting the scorer completely wrong and you get someone shouting in your ear. But uh, you can, for the end of season, one stub it over at the end. But, uh, yeah, you know, you get the odd uh, wrong goal score. But it happens to the best of them. We were away at Arsenal, away at Highbury for Capital Gold, and um, Marlon King scored an absolute screamer <laughs> for Gillingham against Arsenal, the club he supported as a boy. Now, I'm just local. I'm Capital Gold sport. I'm behind... Um, I don't know if I should name, but a well-known other presenter that's still doing stuff, yeah? Yes. Did a two- or three-minute piece with Guy Ipua, yeah, about how wonderful the goal was that he'd scored against. And, oh, of course, no. at the very end of it, and it must have given you extra pleasure scoring against your club you supported as a boy. And he went, no, 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 that's Marlon that got the goal, oh, not no. me. He oh, was no. completely interviewing it, the wrong guy. It, it is so easy. And just, that's someone yeah. very, very famous. Which you just <laughs> remind me of the most recent one. For some reason, the other game, I was calling Stephen Dobby, Scott Dobby. And oh, I not got, you uh, as well. I, I got a, a few pelters. And then, of course, I listened to my mate Nick Godwin on Radio London yeah. doing the away game, and he did exactly the same. So... These things happen. Sometimes people are sympathetic. Other times you get pelters on the BBS. Well, it's been a real treat having you on, uh, Eamon. And perhaps to finish off with, let's hear a couple of highlights of oh, Eamon no. in action. Oh, no. <laughs> Goodison now. Game past one, game past two. Into the area. Danger here for Palace. And Cardiff has scored a goal against the run of play. And it's Crystal Palace nil. Cardiff won. A goal by Goodison who glided through the Palace defence. Benemy trying a shot from distance. That's blocked by KG. But another shot and another goal. 
Well, would you believe it? Cowie now slots it home for Cardiff. Well, the ball bobbling around in the area. Cowie tried a speculative volley from just inside the area. And it goes into the corner of the net. And on 16 minutes, out of nothing, it's Palace nil, Cardiff City 2. So could this be the moment? Four minutes into the second half that Palace get back into it. Right on the edge of the D. Moritz there. Yedinak there. The wall where the referee wants it. He blows his whistle. The free kick now about to be taken. It's Moritz coming up to it. Hits it well and deflected by the wall behind. And a penalty did it. It came off the hand of someone in the Cardiff wall. And the referee unhesitatingly points to the spot as Glenn Murray waits for the instruction to take the penalty. The instruction is given. Here comes Glenn Murray. He runs up and it's in the back of the net. 15 minutes scored. A beautifully taken penalty by Glenn Murray. Puts Palace deservedly back into this game. Palace 1, Cardiff 2. Glenn Murray on the mark. Moritz and his shot deflected awkwardly. Murray, can he do it? It's gone in the back of the net. What an amazing goal. The ball bounced up. And Murray from the tightest of angles squeezes it past Marshall. It was already over the line. It hit a defender and went into the roof of the net. But Murray out of nothing on 61 minutes has put Palace level. The credit to Moritz, the finish by Murray. Over comes the corner. It's headed away. Not very convinced. He might fall for Johnny Parr. Johnny Parr bundled over and not a penalty. Penalty there. Johnny Parr goes on the rebound. Hacked down unceremoniously by the Cardiff player. No doubt as to who's going to take it. And it was Tommy Smith. You'd think he'd know better. A rash, stupid challenge. What excitement around the ground. Is Glenn Murray about to totally transform this game to get his hat-trick and to put Palace in the lead? The referee blows his whistle. Glenn Murray looks. He steps up. Glenn Murray and he's done it again! Palace 3, Cardiff City 2... Uh, as if you didn't already know, there's some great commentary from our good friend uh, Eamon Marin.